0: You're listening to the Life's Too Short podcast, produced by Partners in Care, home to Central Oregon's only hospice house. Discover more about our new hospice house and other outstanding services at partnersbend.org. The views, information, or opinions expressed in the podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Partners in Care and its employees. Welcome to the Life's Too Short Podcast. This is Jason Medina
1: and Lisa Hurley.
0: We are a podcast produced by Partners in Care, Home Health and Hospice, located in Central Oregon.
1: What a treat, Jason. You brought me coffee today. I did. I really appreciate that you know me very well when um, I told you just to surprise me that you knew that meant anything but a matcha tea.
0: I knew no matcha. Matcha was off the list, off the table. Off the
1: table. Thank you. But I will say the golden turmeric was not what I was expecting. It's it's turmeric I I don't know if that's a word.
0: I'm, I'm sure it is.
1: It's, it's interesting. It's different. But back porch coffee, I love them.
0: Yes, me too. They've become a staple of my of my weekly diet. And I'm <laughs> I'm drinking the Bombay, which is which contains maple syrup and cinnamon, along with the espresso. Mm. So I should have given you a choice. Yeah, I, I kind I'm, of, gonna,
1: p- I'm gonna say you won out on that I, one. I
0: maybe played the selfish card.
1: That sounds like pancakes. <laughs>
0: Liquid pancakes. <laughs> it is. It's pancakes mm. in a cup.
1: Well, no, actually I really appreciate my um turmeric. <laughs> Like Good. I said, it's it's different, but I'm drinking it. Thank you.
0: Always powered by coffee on this podcast.
1: Absolutely.
0: Before we bring our guests on, I've got a question for you. Yeah. So we've been in this pandemic for a year.
1: Hard to believe, right?
0: It really is. And, you know, in any crisis situation, after it lasts for a long time, people develop new patterns or new habits. And I'm curious, what's a pattern that you or your family have developed that you hope will continue once we've returned back to some form of normalcy?
1: Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, there's some patterns that I don't know are ones that I want to continue, such as a lot of takeout (laughs) and a lot lot of (laughs) rub hub. But I I don't know that I would necessarily obviously want to continue that because I'm, like most people, excited to get back to being out socially and eating. Yep. I think nothing in particular, except that I do love that our whole family is back together and just having that family time, which we were sort of forced into, ah. but so appreciate having our kids back at home, tons of laundry and tons of cleaning, but gosh, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, how about you?
0: Oh, gosh. I walk a lot more, like I'll even walk to the local grocery store just to pick up two items. It's a great transition time from like work to something else. So i said say the walking and the family time as well. We're not comparing all of our calendars for the week going, who needs to be where, when, you know, and when are we going to, when can we squeeze in dinner or what time should dinner be that particular night? We're all home just enjoying each other's company. And so I think yeah. there'll be a little bit of me that grieves that once the speed of life may ramp up.
1: Well, maybe we'll we'll hold on to a little of that. I hope
0: so. I hope so.
1: So the impetus for this podcast, when you and I were kind of thinking about it, really why we wanted to do this was because I remember the conversation with you. We were like, we work with the most amazing people. Yes. And we are so fortunate that we get to learn so much just about life and, and just amazing work that people are doing that... lot of people in our community wouldn't know about. I can't think of two better people to have join our podcast today because they are a prime example of that. I'll I'll let you do the introduction.
0: Well, we are so thrilled to have with us today, Jenny Carver-Ross, who is the manager of the Partners in Care Hospice House, as well as Sarah Richter, who has been a nurse with us for many years, started out in the field and then has transitioned to become One of our hospice house nurses specifically serves the night shift, which blows me away how you even do that. So (laughs) manager and nurse from hospice house, Jenny and Sarah, thank you for being here and welcome to the Life's Too Short podcast.
2: Thank you so much for having us. Excited to be here.
3: Yes, thank you.
0: So I want to lead with what inspired each of you to become a nurse. Tell us a little bit about that story for each of you
3: let you go first, Sarah.
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> I was trying to let the boss lady go first.
0: <laughs> that's always um, a good choice. Right? <laughs>
1: that that maybe needs to be on a coffee mug. And,
0: and don't bring your boss lady the the subpar of the two coffees that you picked up for the day. That's the lesson I've learned today.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a hint for you, Jason.
2: <laughs> so I started out in healthcare fairly youngish, I guess. I got my CNA when I was 19 and was doing home care and home health. I did some private caregiving as well. Um, And at one point I worked in uh, what we call here in Oregon adult foster homes. I was in a different state where they didn't call it that. So it was confusing when people asked me if it was an adult foster home when I got out here, but they did a lot of um, hospice care. They took in a lot of hospice patients and it was always my favorite part of being in healthcare and just working with the patients and the families and everything. I always kind of had that in the back of my head as a potential thing I would like to do and eventually had the opportunity to be able to go to nursing school and worked my way through that thinking that I would eventually like to do hospice care. So um, here I
3: am. Well, my story is pretty similar to Sarah's. I started out wanting to go to college to be a veterinarian. And then in my mind, I was like, why would I want to go to school for that long? (laughs) it's going to be really hard because animals can't tell you what's going on. I'm like, well, so I shifted my focus on becoming a nurse. I got my CNA when I was 19 as well, at a very young age and started out working in um, an adult foster home. Some friends of mine opened a foster home and they asked me if I'd be interested in working for them. And it was a great experience. Uh, they ended up closing their foster home. And when that happened, I started working at St. Charles and was a CNA there for uh, about eight years, worked on med-surg to begin with, and then worked my way to ICU and then ER tech while I was going to nursing school. So that was my short journey through figuring out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, <laughs> career-wise. Once I finished nursing school, I always pictured myself working at the hospital in an acute care setting, but at the time, I I interviewed here at Partners in Care as well as at the hospital, and I was offered a position both places, and I was like, well, I think I want to give this a try doing home health. So once I started with Partners in Care, I was just amazed at the type of nursing care we provide here as well as The culture here and the team that we have. That really changed my perspective on what type of nursing I wanted to do. After doing home health case management for a while, I shifted gears and wanted to do hospice as well. So I I was a support nurse and did home health and hospice, Um, and then later on cross-trained to work in hospice house. I was just amazed at this facility and the type of care that's provided at an inpatient hospice house. So it was kind of the best of both worlds for me, being able to still do acute care, as well as such a holistic approach to healthcare, being a hospice nurse. So it is the best job ever.
1: We serve our hospice patients predominantly in their home and wherever their home may be. So that could be a private home, it could be an adult foster home. As as both of you shared, you had some experience working in adult foster homes, it could be a memory care assisted living facility. Tell us where hospice house fits in. If most patients are cared for in in their home, tell us about what hospice house can offer, why a patient might potentially be at hospice house and and just the, the difference in hospice at home and hospice at hospice house.
3: Hospice house is a higher level of care and it's an acute care setting specifically for hospice patients. So while patients are admitted to hospice, there are different levels of care that they can utilize, starting with routine hospice care, which is provided in the home setting, wherever the patient might be or live, adult foster home, assisted living facility in their private home. And sometimes when patients, their disease processes get to a point where they might have symptoms that we're not able to manage at home uh, because they can become so intense so quickly whether it be pain, dyspnea, other symptoms.
1: You're going to have to explain dyspnea for our our listeners.
3: Shortness Uh. of breath, sorry. (laughs) So we have nurses that see patients at home, but unfortunately they can't be there 24-7. And there are times when 24-hour nursing care and the oversight of an MD daily is warranted for hospice patients to manage these symptoms so that patients can be more comfortable. Sometimes things
2: change quickly and sometimes you need a quick response and being able to bring someone into the hospice house, get their symptoms managed, maybe it's pain they're having trouble with, get that figured out get them on the right dosages of medication and us nurses being able to monitor them and watch them and and adjust that medication as needed if their goal is to go back home, you know, to get them comfortable. Here's what works. We figured it out. Package those things up for them kind of in a little box. This is what works. And they get to go back home to their family. But we can just give them that quick, full team symptom management and care and get things figured out a little faster for them.
3: But we also can provide respite care, which is specifically for patients who are living in their own private home with their families who are caring for them and may need a little break so that they can take care of themselves and rest up and be able to come back and provide great care for their loved ones.
0: When you end up admitting someone to the hospice house, I imagine the patient and their family have come to a point of exhaustion already. There are symptoms that have not been able to be managed at home, whether it be pain, you know, nausea, other things going on, or they've needed to use the respite benefit. So there's almost a caregiver burnout or fatigue that's happening, which is incredibly understandable. Yeah. As nurses, it's more than just medication management at that point what does that look like as you as you work with these patients and families there's
2: so much about hospice care that is is not just medication management we get to use all of our nursing skills we're not just giving out medications we get to do that kind of deep dive with family we're taking care of the patient we're taking care of the family we are a support system for them. We get to really figure out and have the time to do education, to figure out what works, what is going to best work for this family. We meet people where they are. Everybody has different levels of medical knowledge and different priorities for what works for them. One person's priority is, might not be another person's, and we really get to kind of be detectives and figure out what what is quality to this person and then find a plan to create that quality for them and their families and find out what works. It's not just getting pain managed or nausea managed, things like that. Sometimes it's helping to get a whole family dynamic managed to figure out how to meet these people where they are and how to meet their goals and their goals might be different than somebody else's goals and really just being creative and figuring out how to find quality for people and their families.
1: So you're not just providing or helping to provide comfort for the patient, but sounds like oftentimes for the family as well.
3: Just as much. One of the comments that I hear and feedback that I hear from family members frequently is that I was able to be the daughter or I was able to be their mother and not have to provide the care for the patient. I was able to do that important part and not worry about the rest. The family can really just focus on being who they are to that patient, not the caregiver and not the nurse.
1: The way that you both described all the great resource and tools you have at Hospice House, the 24-7 nursing care, uh, having a CNA, the physician rounding. It might sound like a hospital, but as we know, that can't be any further from what hospice house feels like. In my role as outreach director for Partners in Care, when I talk about hospice house in the community, I can show pictures and I can explain it. But the moment you walk through those doors, it's a feeling. That you just you can't describe. It is you just get a, a sense of comfort. It doesn't feel medical. It doesn't feel sterile. It just feels warm. Jason, how would you describe it?
0: There is a almost an embrace as you walk in that just says welcome home. And obviously, it's not home. If I were to create a tagline for Hospice House, it's almost home. It is just meant to be a beautiful, warm peaceful, serene home that, by the way, also has nurses that's going to be watching over you all the time right now. That's, that's what it feels like. And that's what I think it's meant to feel like.
1: How lucky for us, there's only three hospice houses in the whole state of Oregon. And we have one right here in um, our backyard in central Oregon.
0: You've seen hundreds, if not thousands of patients come through hospice house. Who's one that sticks out to you that just has left an impression on your, your psyche, on your soul? Obviously, not betraying HIPAA at all because we don't betray HIPAA on this show.
3: <laughs> That's a hard one because there's so many.
0: I, I imagine. And if there's just one that immediately comes to your mind or one you feel warrants sharing.
1: The work that you do touches people's lives but you probably get the sent something as well. Is that sort of your, your question, Jason?
0: Partly like you also receive something. And so there's an exchange, a, a human interaction that still goes on, even though it's, it's caregiver and re- recipient of care, but I think it still flows both ways.
3: There's
2: definitely a give and take, you know, I think um, we all try to give as much as we can to our patients and, in doing that, we also receive something when we are able to find what our patients need in order to feel safe and happy and like they're having quality. I mean, I leave work most mornings feeling like I, I did something good. I did something important with my life. I I can do that here. I give people the care that they deserve and try my best to find out what it is they need and when I'm successful at figuring that out and you can see just the the anxiety or the pain or the fear kind of just leave somebody's face and they get to relax and like okay this is good I'm I'm safe here we had a patient Come in, and that really didn't didn't want to be there. I think people don't know what hospice house is sometimes, and there's a fear. Um, what am I getting myself into? They think of a hospital. They think of beeping. They come into our facility, and you know we've got a giant fireplace, and it's on all the time. Living rooms and sitting rooms, and in their own personal rooms, they can bring photos. They can bring things that they want. We'll move the furniture around to make it comfortable so they can look out these big picturesque windows. This patient came in and just didn't want to be there, didn't want to be there, but was in a crisis where there really wasn't any other way. You could see was just so anxious when they came in and their whole family was feeling it and the whole family was anxious and we just got to kind of wrap our collective arms around them, say we're going to figure this out. And, and we did and got the person's symptoms under control and they were able to go back home where they wanted to be, but it wound up being a good experience when eventually they did need to come back to hospice house. It was a decision that was made without fear and it was a decision that was made with comfort knowing what they were stepping into and knowing that they were going to be taken care of, they came back and we all knew each other. And it was like, we were, you know, old friends. It's such a, such a intimate moment of time that we share with people. We were so happy to to see them and get to be with them again. And they were comfortable and happy to see us and happy that we were there for them when they needed us in these more final moments It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful, intimate experience that's hard to hard to explain. And when we can do that for people and they can come back and we can help them and just see that they know they're being cared for and we're all there for them as a team, you know, and there for their families. You leave feeling like it was a good day. You leave feeling like
3: you made a difference.
0: Jenny, anything to add on a, even a particular patient or family that comes to mind?
3: Two things. Our physical bodies are born once and they die once. Usually, typically that's what it looks like. And it's just such an important time. Uh, Both, both of them are such important times and it's a laboring process and being involved with that, being able to be a part of that is so special. And like Sarah said, you leave feeling like, you made a difference or you're making a difference in the type of nursing care that you're providing, particularly with hospice house. It's the the families that are here for longer periods of time. We definitely get to know them. They almost become part of our family. It's just interesting the way that works because, you know, we also provide care for pediatric patients. And I think that's the one that really sticks out the most when you had mentioned that we were able to provide some respite care for a pediatric patient um, over the past couple of years. And it was so important for that mom and dad to be able to spend some time with their other child that they had and to get rest so that they could provide the care that that other patient or the other child needed. It made you feel really good that you were able to help this family and love on this pediatric patient. That's such a sad case, but it's you're making a difference, like Sarah said. You feel like you're really helping.
1: It's kind of like the, I think of the term like collateral beauty, because let's face it, this is hard for people, for families. You, There's no way to... Sugarcoat that at all. Going through end of life is is difficult, but then embracing the beauty that also comes out of it is really what I think gives us all hope and, and gets us through it on some level too.
0: You know, it's already quite the obstacle to to sign up for hospice. People obviously they want to be home. We've seen. Surveys and questionnaires about that. People had their choice. They would die at home, not in a facility, not in a hospital. And if symptoms are not controllable at home, the next big obstacle is trying to convince someone to receive care at hospice house for for a short-term period and then transition them back to their home setting or wherever their residence is. For those patients who are having a hard time deciding that or are fearful about that, either of you got to sit down with them, what would, what would you say?
2: For me, emphasizing that their goals are my goal. If they want to be at home, I want them to be at home and I'm going to do whatever I can do to figure out their needs in a way that can make that happen. I think sometimes people don't realize that we want whatever it is they want. I don't, it's not my life. I don't have an ulterior motive. Whatever is important to them is important to me. And if, What's important to them is to be able to be at home, coming in to see me and our wonderful doctors and our amazing other nurses. We're going to try to make a plan to make that happen. Get your pain, your nausea, your anxiety, your breathing to a comfortable place. And then you get to go home and be comfortable in your home instead of dealing with that pain, nausea, shortness of breath, we just want to give you quality. And if that is something you're willing to do, just come come meet us and let us take care of you and let you go home in a more comfortable state and have that quality at home that is hard sometimes to achieve without doctors and nurses and everybody just really watching you and fine-tuning that, we can do that.
3: Yeah, I think a common misconception is that Hospice house is a place where people would come to just die. That is not not really the case. The case is that we are here to manage intense symptoms that are not able to be managed at home for whatever reason it is, but our ultimate goal is to get patients comfortable and stabilized and have a firm plan like Sarah said so that they can go back home and have a peaceful, comfortable dying process. Not every patient that comes into Hospice House passes here. On the other hand, sometimes there are patients who are like, I don't want to die at home. And we do try and keep that open so that if the opportunity is there, we can bring those patients here so they are feeling comfortable with, with their dying process.
1: Jenny, currently uh, there are six beds, six rooms, I should yes. say, at Hospice House. Suites, suites, Six suites. Can you share with our listeners... The exciting news of what's coming.
3: So we are building a new beautiful building that will be able to have a, a larger capacity to serve our community. We will have 12 beds instead of six. There are times when Currently, we only have six beds and we might not have, we might be full and not have a bed available for somebody. And that's something we just really don't like to have happen. We don't like to not be able to serve a patient who really needs it. And that is why we're expanding and going to have 12 beds.
1: What I think is so cool in the conversations about the planning for the expanded hospice house, I love that it always started with It's all about the patient and family experience. And and so even what it's going to look like, what it's going to feel like, the lighting, the ambiance, everything is about how is that going to make our patients and families feel? And how can we make that the best possible feeling for them? And that has really been leading the way in, in creating this new hospice house. It really is about patients and families. The current house is special, and I think the expanded hospice house will will be equally special in a different way.
0: Well, we want to thank both of you for being our guests on the podcast today. Due to another special project I'm doing for Partners in Care right now, I got to spend some time with Sarah at night, Sarah and Aaron <laughs> for during their knock shift from like eight till eleven. People use the term "thin places." I tend to think of that term less in terms of geographic and more temporal. And there was just a moment I was sitting there where I just breathed in the holy or sacred work you all do. It's special. It's incredible. It's unique. It grounded me. Just that reminder of the importance of life, the importance of serving others, how all of you are so driven to serve our patients. Sarah, you said it well. I actually wrote this down when I was sitting with you. Um, that oh gosh, <laughs> it was just two words, but it was, it was profound. And it was care matters. It was exactly what you said. You said care matters. It's amazing what you all do. So thank you. We are excited to see this new building open come fall 2021. Oh see, my we, gosh!
1: So excited. <laughs> we, we weren't kidding that we get to work with the most amazing people. Yes, we do. I mean, really?
0: And Sarah, thanks for waking up for the podcast since it's daytime, not nighttime.
1: Yeah, I, <laughs> I am on my third cup
2: of yeah, coffee. Yeah, oh, I should have brought <laughs> you.
0: I would have brought you the Bombay.
1: Well, <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of coffee, Jason, our next recording. How I'm? I'll buy the coffee.
0: Yes, and and I will say, surprise me.
1: And I will surprise you. <laughs>
3: oh my! By the way, Lisa, my favorite is the matcha tea. Just saying. Hey.
1: I, you know, no, no disrespect for the, for the, the tea drinkers, the matcha drinkers. I really respect that. It, <laughs> <laughs> it's just not for me. I'm so sorry. Oh, you almost said that with a straight face,
2: Lisa. Almost, those,
0: almost. Those. Oh my gosh. Well, this is Jason Medina.
1: And Lisa Hurley.
0: And you're listening to Life's Too Shorts.